Welcome to this edition of Equipped, part of the services of First Presbyterian Church of West Memphis, Arkansas, where we equip the saints for the work of ministry. I'm your host, Joshua Stark, and we feature the messages of our pastor, David Dobbs. And now, let's get into this week's message. David, once again, is on the run from Saul for the last three chapters, four chapters. He has been on the run for his life, and this tension between him and Saul is getting worse and worse and worse. Saul is going insane. He's out of his mind. He's bent on murdering David at all costs. And as we've seen this past, um, these past few weeks, as we look at these past few chapters, this tension between Saul and David, this tension is not unique to just Saul and David. This isn't just about a man that's mad, insane, you know, at wanting to kill David. This is the kind of tension, this, this tension that we're seeing between Saul and David, this is actually tension between the worldly kings and the kingdom of God. Saul is not actually angry with David. He's actually angry with God. He's angry because Saul, Samuel has told him, he says, the kingdom is being taken from you and it's going to be given to someone else. Someone who's faithful, someone in the, and Saul knows is being given to David. He's angry at God. What we're seeing here is the kingdom of Saul versus the kingdom of God. In that same tension we see in David's day, the kingdom of Saul versus the kingdom of God, we still see that kind of tension today. The kingdom of man versus the kingdom of God. Jesus says that we should, just as the world persecuted him, we should know that the world will persecute us. And that's what we're seeing today. We're continuing to see this persecution. Today we're going to see um, how costly following the true kingdom. When you go after the kingdom of God, when you're following the true king Christ, we're going to see, just as it was in David's day, is costly. Is costly. Today I want you to see three ways we're going to see how following the king after the kingdom of God is costly. Following after Christ is costly. Sometimes following after the real king will cost you physically and financially. Sometimes it will cost you relationships. It can cause rifts in your family and friendships. And for some people, following the real king can cost you your life. Today I want you to see the cost of, and the benefits of following the true king. And I want you to see how the benefits, how the blessing benefits outweigh the cost of following after Christ. Um, Josh Stark is going to be reading for us this morning, 1 Samuel 22, verses 6 through 18. 1 Samuel 22, 6 through 18. Now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with a spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait. As if that, as if this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, 
to Ahimelech, the son of Atto, and he acquired, he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech with Pete the priest, the son of Ahito, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them who came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitab. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have acquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let the king impute anything to his servant or all to the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and killed on that day eighty-five persons, who wore the linen ephod. Thank you, Josh. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. It is so precious to us, Father. It's where we, we learn about Christ, the true king. Father, David is a, he is a beacon of light that shows us, Father, it's through him that Christ came to us. And Father, he, he foreshadowed Christ. And Father, now we are here. We're here to, uh, to show people Christ as David did. Father, I pray that you will help us to to see the beauty of Christ and, uh, and run after Christ like David did and show the beauty of Christ as David did. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. All right, first I want you to see um, how following Christ can cost us physically and financially. Look again at verses 6 through 8. It says, Now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him, Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height of his spear in his hand. And all the servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me? So here we see Saul sitting under a tree with all the, his commanders. And he is basically accusing them of conspiring with David against him. Um, now it's very possible, it's very probable, none of these men have conspired against Saul. Saul is, Saul is very probable he's just out of his mind. He's insane in jealousy. And these are just the ravings of a lunatic. Probably none of these guys are conspiring against Saul. And they're like, oh, what do we say to this guy? He's crazy. But it is possible some of them have conspired with David. Many of them know that David's the real anointed king. If you remember back in chapters 15 and 16, Samuel openly told everybody, he says, he openly confronts Saul about all of his rebellion. 
he's constantly confronting Saul. He goes like, why are you so faithless? God, he was specifically tell Saul, here's what God says to do, and Saul wouldn't do it. He openly confronted Saul, and in chapter 17, he openly announced that God was now taking the throne. Because of all of his faithlessness, God was taking the throne from Saul, and he was going to give it to someone else. He says someone who would be faithful to God, someone who would have a heart after God, and he says God will be with him, and he was going to be with God. Well, many people in Israel, they're putting two and two together, and they're seeing this is David. David, they've seen his faithfulness. He's courageous. He's bold for the Lord. And they've seen clearly God is with him. He slayed Goliath, this giant. Nobody does that except somebody clearly God was with David. You don't slay a giant with a stone. And David slays tens of thousands of Philistines. Everybody's starting to see like, hmm, Samuel says somebody else is coming. And here's this guy, David. Me, these guys very well may be conspiring, you know, like Jonathan was. So maybe Saul is not crazy. Maybe some of these men are conspiring with David. If they are, they would be right in doing so because David is the real anointed king of over Israel. It's right for Israel to oppose Saul and to support David. It's right for Israel to fight for David and to follow David. But Saul is basically warning these men. He's saying, if you follow David, it will cost you financially. Look again at verses 7 and 8. He says, here now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? And will he make, for, make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you conspired against me? He's basically saying, okay, maybe David is this new anointed king, but guess what? If you follow David, it's going to cost you. David is not going to reward you like I did for loyalty. He's not going to give you these commander positions over hundreds and thousands. He's not going to give you vineyards and fields like I do. And maybe he's right. Maybe David won't be doing this. Maybe Saul may be making a point here. If you follow David, it's going to cost you financially. Do you sometimes feel the tension today between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world? And do you see how following, have you seen how following Christ and being faithful to Christ sometimes costs you financially in this world? I had a friend who went to seminary with me, and before he went to seminary, he was an attorney. And he was a good attorney. He worked for a semi-famous law firm. And he told me all the time when he was, you know, when we were in class together, he used to tell me how frustrating it was for him as a Christian to be an attorney because he, this firm was constantly putting pressure on him to do things that he felt were unethical. He felt like things were, un, he was, it felt like he was pushing him to be unfaithful to Christ. And one of his big complaints was what he called padding the books. He told me, he said, if he had a five-minute conversation with a client on the phone, he were, they would instruct him. If he, had a, if he looked at something online, they would always instruct him, charge, bill for it. You bill an hour. You bill, you know, he bill this, bill that, bill. They were constantly overcharging people for things. And he, they finally let him go because he wouldn't follow through with what he thought were these insane billing practices. His faithfulness to Christ cost him. I had another friend who was, went to seminary with me. He had million-dollar grants to be a biologist in India. 
and he felt this call, you know, to go to seminary. And, and, he, and it not only cost him his job, it cost him his relationship with his family. He lost a very lucrative job as a biologist. There is a financial cost to following Christ. Luke 9.23 says, Jesus says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross is a picture of someone who is sacrificing. Following Christ, you may not realize it, but it is a big sacrifice. And the more you follow him, the more you try to follow him, it's going to cost you. Now, don't, understand, don't misunderstand this passage. This passage is not saying what we do to be saved. He's not saying you take up your cross to be saved. He's not saying what you do, you do to be saved. He's saying what you do because you're saved. This is what the gospel is. Jesus, Jesus has taken up the cross. He's died for our sins. This is an amazing thing. None of us can do this. You can, Jesus on that cross, he felt the wrath of God for us. You cannot take up a cross like that. You cannot feel the wrath. The place that you feel the wrath of God is hell. Jesus felt the full wrath of God for us. You can't take up a cross like that. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying here, though, we mimic Christ. This is such an amazing event. We are so excited about this. It's like treasure to fill. We go after it. We mimic our Savior now. We take up crosses like his, but it's not that cross. We now sacrifice for people to bring the gospel to people. We sacrifice for this gospel to raise our children up in the Lord. And it's costly. Just like it cost Jesus, it will cost you in this world. Jesus left his kingdom. He had everything in heaven, and he sacrificed that to come here to bring salvation to us. We have to do that to bring God, the gospel to people, to reflect Christ in this world. I want you to see how also following Christ can cost you relationships. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Saul says here, all of you have conspired against me. No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me of disclosure to me, um, uh, for not disclosing me. My son has stirred up um, my servant against me to lie in wait as it, as it is this day. Here we see Saul is not just suspicious of his commander's conspiring against him. He's suspicious of his son, of his son Jonathan conspiring against him. And Saul has good reason to be nervous because, see, um, Jonathan has been conspiring with David. Jonathan has made a covenant with David. We saw that in chapter 18. He made a covenant with David. In chapter 20, Jonathan helped David escape from his father. He conspired with David. They made a plan to go tell this story to his father that David had gone on this trip to go do sacrifices with his family. And they wanted to see how his father was going to, Saul was going to react. He, was, he conspired with David to protect him. And it's not just Jonathan who's conspiring with David. Saul's daughter, Michael, is conspiring with David. David as well. In chapter 19, she put an idol. When the guards were watching David at night, she knew that. She put an idol in David's bed and put wool around it to make it look like David was asleep in the bed. So it gave him time to escape at night. 
And when Saul found out about it, he's furious. He calls his daughter Michael in and she tells him this story. She goes, oh, well, David forced me to do it. He said, I'll kill you if you don't help me. And so she lies to her father. She's conspiring with David to protect him. Jonathan and Michael have both conspired with David and following and, following and being faithful to David has, a, has caused a rift in Saul's family. Do you see? It's, it's causing a rift between Saul and his children. Many times following Christ can divide you from people you love, from family and friends. For the early disciples, following Christ, for many of them, meant turning their backs on their family. When you turn to follow Christ, it meant to turn your, your back on the traditions of Judaism. And many of them, their families weren't willing to go with them down this road. When they went to follow Christ, many of them had to go alone. They lost their, 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 their families. They lost their children. Many of them went alone. And sometimes it was women, sometimes it was men. Going after Christ costs people dearly, not just financially. It can cost you relationships, people that you love dearly. Some of you may have non-believing relatives in your family now. And talking to them about your relationship with Christ, maybe it brings rifts in your family. I have family here today who, just kidding. Um, I do have family here today, but I've been blessed. I have a lot of, a lot, most of my family know the Lord. I'm extremely blessed, but I do have family, some family who don't know the Lord, and they're open, they're open about it. I have a relative, when he comes down, he gets angry when my family and I start talking about, we start talking about our faith in Christ. He gets angry if we talk about, you know, if we talk about, the sin of homosexuality going on in the world. If we talk about abortion, he gets very upset about these things. And how do we react, by the way? How do we react when our Christian faith, when talking about our Christian faith, conflicts with family in this world? How do we talk when our friends, when it offends our friends? How do we, how do we respond to that, by the way? Oftentimes... We don't talk about our faith then, don't we? People say it all the time. Don't talk about your faith. Don't talk about, you know, don't talk about, you know, politics. And in my opinion, it's tragic. Because we, uh, we have chosen our love for our family over our love for Christ. Matthew 10, 34-39 says, Do not think I've come, Jesus says, Do not think I've come to bring us peace here on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those within his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross to follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses life for my sake will find it. He's not saying here... Jesus is not calling you to hate your family. He's just saying, love me more than you love them. You may think that you're showing love to people by not talking about these things, but you're not showing love to him then because he is the real king. He is coming one day and he's going to judge the world for sins that they have not found atonement in Christ. You have not shown love to them. I've had, I've had, I will never forget Several years ago, I was sitting down in our kitchen with my brother and his wife. 
And we were having a heated debate about some theological matters. He's a Methodist pastor, by the way. And I will never forget, the next morning, my mom came to me in my room. She goes, she goes do not divide our family <laughs> over your, your theology. And I felt like, oh my gosh, what, you know, what do I do? And, and we still, to this day, me and my brother and his wife, we used to butt heads, but guess what? We are like best friends now. And we still butt heads on these things. I sometimes, when I'm going through spiritual matters, I will call my brother's wife. When I'm, me and Helen are having issues, I will call his wife to get her spiritual advice. We have grown closer. We have grown closer to Christ through our struggles together. That is what love does. That's what the gospel does. It brings sinners together. And closer to him is the only thing that can do that is Christ. For some people, following Christ can cost you your lives. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood, stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. For this priest, Ahimelech, this was helping David cost him dearly. It cost him his life. It cost most of the priests also died with him on that day. And it wasn't just him. His family died. They killed the priests and all their families. Following Christ is very costly. Sometimes following Christ can cost you your very life. And it may not happen very often in this, in this country. Just because it doesn't happen here, don't think it's not happening. It happens all the time. Just read, have you ever read the Fox's Book of Martyrs? It is a book that just will make you cry when you see what Christians have suffered for their faith. I was amazed. I was reading this, and there's this young girl. She's only 18 years old. In 1685, King James II, he declared himself to be a, a kind of co-head with Christ. He claimed him to be the head of the church alongside of Christ. And many people were like, not going to stand for it. They said, Christ, he is the king. He is the only head. He will be the only king in heaven. And they refused to stand for it. And many people died. And there's this young girl named Margaret, Margaret Wilson. And to read this story, she's only 18 years old. And they staked her out to the rising tide. And they staked her mother out further so she could watch her mother drown. And then so she would recant. She refused to recant. And she drowned. It was amazing what people witnessed. Another woman, because his father, her husband wouldn't acknowledge, you know, the king is the head of the church. And many people came to her, family members, and all these people in town came to her and said, get your, get your husband to recant. They're going to cut off his head. And she said, you know how she responded? She said, I would rather catch my husband's head than to see him recant Christ as the head of the church. It has cost people their lives for their faith. And many times I don't think we understand the high cost of following Christ. And I think, and don't be naive, there may come a day, you read the book of Revelation, it's scary, there may very well be coming a day that even we might be seeing this high price of following Christ. How 
can we make sure we and our families are ready to follow Christ when that day comes? You look at people like, you know, Job. You know, Job, he had everything. You think, and all, and all of a sudden, boom. Satan says, you know what? Here's why Job follows you, because you built a hedge around him. Just like you do all these Christians here in America. What are you going to do if God does like he did with Job? Okay, let's see. Take the hedge away. I give you permission. You can test him. Your family, their lives are on the line. Your health is on the line. Your job is on the line. Your very life is on the line. How are you going to follow? Are you going to follow Christ? How can we make sure that we're ready to follow Christ? Look at verses 17 and 18. It says here, And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put their hand to strike the priest of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priest. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. There's two groups of people here. One group was not willing to touch these priests. And there's one guy that was willing to touch the priest. Why? Let's look at the first group. The soldiers who were unwilling to strike down the priest. Why? Why were they unwilling to strike the priest? It's because they knew God. And they feared God. These were Israelites. They had been raised up in the teaching of God's law and God's word. They knew God's covenant promises. And they feared God's judgment. They feared God. That's why they would not draw their swords to touch these guys. But there was another man who was willing to. He would follow after this worldly king and obey him. It was Doeg. Doeg was an Edomite. He was not an Israelite. He was not raised up in Israel. He was not raised up under God's law and under the teaching of God's word. He did not have a respect for God's word. One way we can help prepare ourselves and our families to follow Christ is to make sure they know the Lord. Make sure your kids raise your children up in the Lord. When God gave these commandments, when he gave his word, and gave his covenant to Abraham and to the Israelites, he said, teach these things to your children. Raise them up in the Lord. You pass these things down from generation to generation. Invest serious time in God's word. Romans 19 says, Romans 10 says, Great faith comes from hearing God's word. As you spend time in God's word, it transforms you. As you bring your children to work, worship, God says when we come together, he's there with you in a special word. You're not just hearing words. God is transforming your mind. He's transforming your children. He's giving us all new hearts that will love him and pursue him. Do not take lightly the word of God and the worship of God and the coming together of God. Psalm 19, he says, the word of the Lord is flawless. It's like silver refined in a furnace, like gold purified. It says the law of the Lord is more precious than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. It's more, it's more precious than rubies. It's sweeter than honey straight from the honeycomb. He tells us to cherish, the psalmist tells us to cherish God's word. To teach it to our children. And here's something else you can do 
to help prepare each other. And I've never, I've never said this from the pulpit, but I'm going to do this today. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you how to vote politically. I know that's a no-no, and I'm not going to be talking about Republican or Democrat here, but I'm going to tell you here that it matters today. The kings you align yourself with here on earth, it does matter. David was not the Messiah. You do realize that. Aligning themselves with David, he's not the Messiah they've been waiting on. God talked about the Messiah. But David was a guy who loved the Lord. He was a guy who was faithful to God. He was a guy that was going to point them back to God, faithfulness to God's word and to his commandments. He loved God's word. He had a heart after God. And 2 Samuel tells us that he was a physical king through whom Christ was going to come. He was a shadow of Christ. Another way we can help people prepare for the coming of Christ is by, by aligning ourselves with leaders who will promote the gospel. If possible, choose leaders who are Christians. If it's not possible, sometimes leaders may not be Christians, but choose leaders who are not going to get in the way, get in the way of the gospel. Some leaders... They purposely make it hard for business leaders to live out their faith in the Lord. Have you seen that? Like the cake baker. They got certain governments, they say you can't, you know, you can't use your business to reflect the gospel, to reflect Christ. You can't live out your life faithfully. Don't choose leaders that are going to suppress Christians who are wanting to live out their faith, who want to spread the gospel with their businesses. Align yourself with people who are going to promote the gospel. The real king is coming soon. Don't wait till he comes. Follow him now. Tell people about him now. Make sacrifices to him now. The day that Christ is coming is going to be very exciting for many people. The blessings that you see, the excitement that you see, all the suffering you've gone through in this world, the sacrifice you had to make, the job sacrifice you made, the family sacrifice you've had to make, is going to be worth it that day. It's going to be exciting that day. The rewards we have in Christ are way going to outweigh the sufferings we've had in this world. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To request your copy of this podcast or any other podcast, or for more information about our church, go to fpcwestmemphis.com or feel free to call our office at 870-735-1490. Join us next week for another edition of Equipped.